Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an assistant professor and the Student Affairs Program Coordinator in the College of Education at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. While this podcast is focused on current issues, events, and trends, it's also important that we get to know a little bit about our guests as we engage in our work and learning together, since we're all more than just our jobs. My guest today is Sierra Durden from Clemson University. Sierra, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in your current role at Clemson? Sure. Um, so yeah, again, Sierra Durden, she, her pronouns. Uh, I have a long title, Associate Director of Multicultural Community Development. I work in the Gantt Multicultural Center, um, and that's essentially uh, the as that person, I'm the primary staff member who does LGBTQ programming, education, and advocacy work at Clemson. Um, I'm also the inaugural uh, staff member who's, I'm going to close my email, um, <laughs> full-time uh, staff member who does this work. So that is really exciting. Um, but yeah, and how I got into this work. Uh, the highlights, uh, I was that closeted gay kid in Georgia um, that managed to survive high school, uh, went to college, um, and I originally went to college for a very different life path. Um, I started out double majoring in Japanese and English, and I wanted to be a literature translator. Um, but a couple of things happened in my junior year. Um, my father was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And at that time, we were told he had a year to live. Plot twist, he had lived much longer. Um, but uh, I was planning on studying abroad and said, you know, I, I can't do that. Um, so that happened. But also during my junior year, I got really involved in um, queer activism and a little bit of racial, ju ra racial justice work at the University of Georgia where I was studying. Um, and someone was kind enough to say, hey, there's this thing called student affairs um, and specifically identity work in student affairs and you might be really good for that. Um, and I... <laughs> I was torn. Um, I was considering either pursuing a PhD in English um, and transitioning more into professorship um, and also pursuing a master's of education in student affairs. Um, and the way that I made my choice was I reached out to one of my favorite English professors and mentors who is now also passed, um, Lance Wilder. And I was like, hey, I have to make this big life choice. I don't know what to do. Um, and he said, do you want to go to a bar? And I said, sure. Um, <laughs> being a, like, the thought of being allowed to, like, have drinks with my professor was still, like, extremely foreign to me. So I was like, okay. Um, but we went to the Globe, which is this wonderful Athens bar. Um, and we had food. And he was extremely kind but pragmatic and said if you do an English PhD you will not eat like you probably will not find a job that will help you you've already talked about your family's medical expenses and also you want to do like social justice work and not that you can't do that as an English professor but 
going in, into student affairs, it'll be more direct. Um, and I said, okay, that that's my choice then. Um, so went to, continued to go to University of Georgia for my master's, um, was a graduate assistant for their LGBT resource center. Um, graduated, briefly worked in Florida. Um, it was the worst job of my life. Um, I was an academic advisor, which love academic advising, but wasn't the right place, time, whatever. Um, and then this job uh, opened up and I applied to it and I got it. And now we're here two years later. That's good. So you had a faculty member who student affairs you into student affairs in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, thank you for all of that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, who, who you are outside of this is my life and how it got me to work. So what are some of your hobbies? What are some of the things you're interested in? Sure. Um, so outside of work, one of the most important things is uh, I am desperately in love. I have a fiance, Apollonia, um, and especially now during COVID, like it's a big focus of my life um, is what we are building together along with my friends and family um, as much as we can during this time. Uh, hobbies wise, um, I write poetry, I love to read, um, and I'm also a ferocious cook. Like I love doing any sort of complicated cooking adventure. Um, I actually, aside, we, a friend of mine and I were joking about spices the other night and she's like, how many spices do you actually have? And it turns out I have over a hundred um, because I'm, intense so that's that's been a thing um and during quarantine time i've uh amped up my bread making so i am working on a sourdough starter and being the intense person i am i want to get into bread stenciling which is where you create beautiful art on bread so you know just normal people hobbies <laughs> Well, without the quarantine, you wouldn't have had time to count how many spices you have. So, right, the victory. Important hobby. <laughs> so, what are some things that you are currently reading or watching or listening to? Mm. Um, I know Netflix is um, sort of a foundational experience for many people right now. But what's what's that part of your world look like? Let's see. Um, right now, I'm split between a couple of different books. Um, so I am reading uh, The American Way of Death. Uh, it's a book from the 1960s. Basically, uh, the author is exposing what the funeral industry was like at that time, um, which was, for the most part, really encouraging people to make extravagant purchases that they that they don't really need to do. Um, so it's a fascinating book. Uh, there's a lot around like legislation and consumerism and whatever. Um, and I am a massive nerd, so I love that. Um, I am also reading the big book of death. I'm reading a lot of death literature. Again, casual human being. Um, but the big book of death is a giant comic book that discusses different things around 
cultural engagements with death and dying. Um, and then lastly, I am rereading Reading Lolita in Tehran, um, which is a book that I read during high school. And I've just had a particular phrase stuck in my head from that book um, that I literally couldn't get out of my head. And I was like, all right, I guess we're rereading this so it'll leave. <laughs> mm. So yeah. Um, and then watching uh, Killing Eve, like that is my favorite show so far. Um, no spoilers, but something very intense has happened and has fulfilled all my hopes and dreams for the show. Um, and just started Mrs. America, which is about um, the uh, women's rights movement um, uh, during the 60s and 70s and has Kate Blanchett in it. And I'm a diehard Kate Blanchett fan, so yeah. And then every single YouTube cooking tutorial that I can find. <laughs> Great. And I, I think I know this about you, but just to clarify, you're reading about death and dying. That mm -hmm. precludes COVID, right? Those two things yes. aren't necessarily connected. That's an mm -hmm. area of interest for you, correct? It is, yeah. Um, a quick aside about me. I, once, I, I would like to eventually transition out of student affairs. Um, and become a therapist who focuses in sex therapy and also uh, death, dying, and grief. Uh, I just find them to be fascinating things and also things that our culture doesn't do great at discussing. So I wanna be that person that's like, no, let's talk about this weird taboo thing in a safe environment, so. Great, all right. How about, um, do you have a favorite quote or a quote that you would be interested in sharing? Ooh, um, so I guess a quote would be, I, I have a, the one tattoo that I have um, says, fortune laughs no matter what. Um, and the full line uh, includes swear, so you can bleep it. Uh, but the full line is, fortune laughs no matter what, trying to save someone's sorry ass. Um, and it, it is a line of poetry from a really good friend. Uh, she was the founder of Word of Mouth, which was a poetry group that I technically am still involved in, even though I don't live in Athens anymore. Um, but I performed it for over six years in per person. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that quote. It, the way that, you know, it can be read in, in this way, like, Fortune can, you know, be laughing in all sorts of ways. It can be positive, negative, chaotic, whatever. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's a life motto that I enjoy literally like having on my wrist. It feels like I'm carrying my friend with me and also having a reminder of like, there's laughter in all of this. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but you know, something is here with you, so again, probably carries different meanings in different times, but yep. relevant today for sure, so. Oh yeah. All right, okay, so I have one more sort of get to know you question, mm -hmm. and this is would you rather, okay. so I'm very excited about this question. Would you rather open a student affairs themed restaurant or a student affairs themed bakery? Oh. So here's the thing, I 
all of my work before student affairs was restaurant work. So I don't have any romantic ideas <laughs> about restaurant and bakery work. Um, I guess for myself, I would choose bakery, even though you're going to have to get up at 3, 4 a.m. every day um, or stay up until 3, 4 a.m. Make sure your products are ready, but uh, I view that environment as far less chaotic than restaurant work. And even though I, I loved being a line cook, I loved the contained chaos of the kitchen, did not love the customers. Mm. not love um some of the some of the misogyny that can happen in the restaurant world so and i'm not like you can escape that in a bakery but i feel like there's a different flow so that's what i choose <laughs> that's great i had convinced myself you were gonna say well a restaurant that serves baked goods and i was gonna be like oh that's sort of you know, oh. That, no, it'll be a bakery that just serves savory things because I will take savory over sweet any day of the week. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, let me go to my next page of questions. Um, so our topic today is, theoretically, we'll see where it goes, um, but it is about... So there's lots out there about transitioning different sorts of events. And in your role, you have just been and probably continue to be in the midst of navigating um, pride celebration. And so if you could talk just a little bit about um, when you first suspected that that shift might need to happen, and then how things unfolded from there. So, you know, not necessarily the official announcement, but when you yourself started to prepare, whatever that means, if it meant bracing yourself for this shift or starting to do planning, right. what did the early stages look like for you? Sure. Um, so the early stages was were actually really weird for me. Um, something that... So two major events happened during this time, you know, COVID, a literal plague, but also right before um, everything hit the fan, my father passed. Uh, so he passed, it's uncertain, but either March 1st or March 2nd, we can't really tell. Um, but, you know, so I, I actually was taking time off work. Um, I had taken a week to just like, or over a week to be with my family. I was next of kin, so I did all of the funeral arrangements and figuring things out, which is a journey. Um, but, you know, I was also like keeping an eye on my email and text from, you know, our, our staff group. And uh, all of this was in the midst of, of planning for Pride. Like we were supposed to, you know, no later than March 15th, we were supposed to send things to print for advertising and confirm all the things. Um, but it was becoming very clear that something was going to happen. Um, and I, I don't know, I had a, a, an intuition gut feeling of like, everything's gonna look different. Um, 
And, and at that time, I, I didn't know if I should trust that intuition or not. Um, part of me thought this, this is just you talking because you're grieving and you don't know how to do this work right now. Um, but turns out I was right. Um, so, you know, I would say it was the next week or so where it became clear that, um, for at least the first week of prides, we had two weeks planned. Um, that first week we would need to rearrange everything. Um, so a lot of that was simply canceled or moved to fall, um, because we had like major contracts we had to think about. We had our drag show, our, um, our speaker who was coming in from Massachusetts, like a lot of things that you can't, you know, try to haphazardly hold on to. Um, so instead I said, you know, let's, let's move this and was trying to hold on to that second week. And then, you know, while also communicating with my committee and students like, Hey, this is where we're at. It's uncertain. Um, I'll keep you posted. And not much sooner after that, we were essentially told, uh, all events are canceled through, I think at that time it was May 6th. Um, and yeah, and, and including commencement. So we were like, okay, um, so we're not doing anything in in person. And that that was a blow, but that's sort of the, the initial first steps of it. And then as you navigated through that, how did you, so there are multiple, you know, everything is complex, mm -hmm. but how did you, I guess manage the process, but maybe more importantly, how did you attend to, because this had an impact on students, faculty, staff, yourself. Right. So how did you attend to people and their different needs and mm -hmm. senses of loss around this as you're navigating your own senses of loss in multiple ways? Sure. Um, so, I, I, during this time of like losing my dad, it was a, a situation of losing a lot of agency. Um, he, so this is heavy. He took his own life. It's okay. Um, but it was that thing of a really radical type of death and a really traumatic type of death. Yeah. Um, something that, you know, it, if you haven't experienced it, you don't, you cannot fathom the, the way that it changes your whole life perception. In a similar way that a pandemic does, you know, there's, there's also a loss of agency at that. There's also uncertainty. There's so many unanswered questions, um, even if it's a different context and framework. So the, the way that I was dealing with, you know, students, uh, committee members, whatever, um, was I, I dealt with them in the way that I wanted to be dealt with, which was um, I communicated like, hey, I know that we had these big grand plans, um, but a, a crisis is happening. And we don't have to, nor can we have the same, the, the same thing during all of this. Uh, so a lot of my communication, particularly to students was saying, you know, if you would like to do something virtual um, 
or you know any form of not in-person event or resource or whatever here's a deadline for you but i need you to know you don't have to do this like nothing will fall apart any more than it has already fallen apart if we choose not to do what like originally we had like 14 16 events planned i'm like we don't have to have 14 events the the world's falling apart like you don't need to worry about that um and people responded differently so some uh some students in particular said yeah you know what it it's a bit much right now i'm going to take a step back uh other people said you know even if no one comes we want a space for uh for distraction for community um a space to process feelings or you know learn coping mechanisms or whatever so yeah um so a lot of the communication was really really careful um but trying to offer people as much agency as possible, but also like grace and compassion and saying, this is, as everyone keeps saying, this is a time that's unprecedented and it's okay if you can't work in this environment. So, yeah. How did you, um, I don't wanna say manage, but how did you attend to yourself? Because that's the thing about student affairs. And I love what you just said, space for distraction. Yeah. I think sometimes in a crisis, what we do to take care of other people can serve as a distraction. Sometimes that's good. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it takes away from us checking in with ourselves. So do you feel like you were able to do that or have been able to do that? And if Mm -hmm. so, what did that look like for you? Sure. Um, So... All of this is so tangled together. I can't really like talk about self-care as a professional and self-care as a personal person who was and is grieving. So it's all meshed together. Um, for me, one of the ways that I was able to take care of myself was in in terms of my father, like if if his death had happened two weeks later, we would not have been able to have the ceremony that we had. I would not have been able to, you know, he was cremated. I would, I would not have been able to be with his body. Like that, the, the amount of ritual that we had, the amount of intention, both private and public that I was able to do and continue to do it is, is monumental. So, you know, self-care looks like I go to therapy, which is great. Love it. Um, a lot of the deaf literature that I'm reading or listening to or watching, like that's comforting because it's it's a a space to to hear others. It's a space to acknowledge something very big and catastrophic. Um, that's also in relation to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, really paring down and and taking things slower. Um, and that was both in terms of my personal life and my professional life. Like, I do feel self-conscious in some of the choices that I've made of, um, of, of choosing to do like, you know, less events or something that's more simple, but also I'm like, 
I'm exhausted and I'm sure and know that other people are too. Like why pour in so much energy into something that, you know, can be just as good, even if it's different, um, that, that could require so much less energy. So also quite frankly, just like, just taking it down a notch and saying, uh, you're programming during a pandemic. This is weird. There's no rule book. Just do what you can and let it be. So, right. Well, I just, I want to take a moment. And first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. I, at the same time, am, um, I'm not sure if I'm using the right language. You are more the expert than I, but I, I'm glad that you had the opportunity to engage in the rituals and the process that, um, cause you're right. Like now that is different than right. it was even a few weeks ago. Right. Um, and I also want to thank you for being vulnerable because I do think that too often we have these conversations and they're very flat. It's very much mm. about job and task and not about everything that's behind how we do the job from one day to the next. So right. some gratitude to you for that. I, I think that's really powerful. So thank you. Um, so you've touched on this a little bit and you talked about how um, in a lot of ways you role modeled, um, again, maybe driven by your own personal circumstances, but this whole idea of it's okay whatever it is, you know, however the event looks, whether you're even able to participate in the role that you thought you were going to be playing. Right. Um, how did you see, whether it's students or I know there's also a committee, how did you see people adapt events to try to create that, um, that space for distraction that you mentioned earlier? So what sorts of things did, did different groups do with different activities? Sure. Um, so each, each subcommittee did different things. Um, so our, we, we have uh, six student organizations that are dedicated to the LGBTQ community. Um, one of the student groups said, we're not, we're not going to do anything. We're going to wait until fall. And I said, that's fine. Um, the other two student groups chose to do Netflix watch parties. Um, just like if you don't do Netflix watch parties, it's essentially you can watch you, you on several different computers can all watch the same thing together. Um, and there's a chat function. So, you know, that was, that was nice. Um, and they got to like, as we've said, there got to be a distraction and a, a mode of connection. Mm -hmm. It, you know, wasn't the same as being in person. Uh, we turned, we have a, an event called the Pride Living Library um, that one of Clemson's most amazing people, uh, Maggie Mason-Smith, who she works in the Clemson Libraries, uh, she brought this to uh, Pride last year. Um, it's a global event that we modeled after, which is the living library is where um, there are people who act as books that can be checked out um, and they can be asked, you know, questions on any topic that they have agreed to talk about. So, you know, not a free for all, there's, there's structure, there's protection. Um, 
but it's this opportunity for people to learn about so many things and again have that human connection uh so we turned that into a podcast um there are episodes that are focused on on love on queer professionalism on religion um so all these different topics that our books were planning on talking about um and then another uh event we this was something that we weren't really planning um before COVID, but one of the committee members, another amazing person, Kristen, Crystal Thornhill, who uh, is a CAPS therapist, she she reached out and she was like, do you want to co-lead a, a like workshop on queer resiliency and coping mechanisms for COVID? And I said, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, good. Um, so, you know, uh, we tried to avoid too many um, synchronous events acknowledging that like with technology needs and difficulties like it's hard to gather people together but for that one we did do a synchronous workshop um, where we talked through coping mechanisms we talked through you know what does being queer like how does that affect your experience during COVID like you know, are there special nuances that you're experiencing that maybe your straight and cisgender um, peers aren't experiencing? So, and then, uh, and then we usually will have like several educational workshops or panels or whatever, and we turn that into an Instagram takeover. So each day of the week, we talked about a different identity. Um, there was like a a little game that asked you questions that you could participate in. And that turned out to be our most popular event. It was, you know, literally a daily, like, question and answer, um, you know, not something that's an hour long, but something that, like, hundreds of people participated in, um, which to me, as someone who does not love social media, I'm like, wow, why? Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it was really cool and it was eye-opening um, as someone who does a lot of education to realize like, oh, this is a different form. Like, no, maybe an Instagram takeover doesn't allow for the same richness and complexity that, you know, an in-group dialogue has, but, you know, shoot, like hundreds of people learned four new things about, a, about an identity that might have been brand new to them and that's something. So, uh, so yeah, each, each event was dealt with differently. Some moved to fall, some reimagined and some created, but yeah, just a hodgepodge of techniques. Well, life's a hodgepodge of techniques, I think, some days. So. Um, I want to go back to the resiliency part for just a minute. Mm -hmm. So that was not originally on the calendar. That's something that sort of organically it's like hey this is where we are this might be useful am i understanding that correctly yes and how did as you were developing what you were going to share um because it certainly could have been a session or an event or an activity before covid um, mm -hmm. so how did you sort of bridge general resiliency with this particular group of students faculty and staff, um, to resiliency today? Like, 
how, how did you talk about those things? Sure. So, so we, and primarily Crystal, because like, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm interested in therapy and counseling, but she is the expert in, in that context. Um, but talking through, you know, general like life events and trauma um, and adaptation, but, uh, and then flowing into coping mechanisms. Um, but the bridging of, of queerness um, was a lot around the conversation of, you know, um, not, it's not that like realizing that you're queer and a global pandemic, like those are not the same thing. First, those are not the same thing. Um, but, but there's life that changes in that, you know, there's, you, you might have had this set plan, the people around you might have had a set plan that suddenly might look very different. You know, you have to make choices, both public and private that you weren't anticipating. Um, and then, you know, from a COVID perspective for queer students, it's also the reality of, you know, some of our students could not go home because their families had disowned them uh, or had to go back in the closet uh, for their safety, you know, and that that's hard. Um, so a lot of our conversation was around, you know, um, survival and, and changing boundaries and also sort of interrogating this question of like queer integrity, like, there's, I really disagree with some people who are like, you have to be out no matter what, and you have to be true to yourself no matter what. Like, as the, you know, former gay kid, I'm still gay, I'm just not a kid, um, former gay kid who had been closeted because her parents had said, we'll kick you out if you're gay, plot twist, they didn't, but like, I have a deep personal understanding of you don't lose any integrity um, or validity in your identity if you choose out of safety to, to be quiet um, or to dress differently, look differently, use a different name, not talk about your partner or your desires or whatever. Like, you know, there's, there's choice that has to be made. And, you know, the choices can be radical and beautiful or they can just like suck um, and you have to cope with them. So, you know, there was a lot of blending in together of, of, um, of these different experiences of just being queer, being someone who's going through a pandemic, the intersection of both, um, and how to cope with that. So we talked through, um, the fact that, like, there are coping mechanisms that are that are positive, some that are neutral, and some that are negative. And, you know, how can you tell? And what's working for people right now? What's not working? Um, so yeah, it was, it was a space where it was only a handful of people who participated, but the conversation was so rich and so good. Um, a student followed up later with me to just talk about things further. And that, that's really powerful. So I don't know. That might have been my favorite event <laughs> this whole weird time. Would you replicate that event in future Pride celebrations? Mm, definitely. Um, you know, it might 
it might not be, you know, queer resiliency during COVID-19, um, but it, it was powerful in that one, like from a, a partnership perspective, really want to show our students like, hey, it's, it's not just me. It's not just these student orgs um, or Gantt or whomever who cares about LGBTQ uh, an initiatives or whatever. Um, there are allies across this entire university. Um, so, you know, having a partner from CAPS who like, like, I, I know Crystal, we're friends, and she is so smart and so good um, and is in community herself. Like, that's important to show. Um, so definitely wanting to recreate it from that standpoint. But also, yeah, like having these spaces where people can process where they're at, whether they're, you know, uh, just just beginning to understand their identity or have been like, out for a decade, whatever, you know, having this space where people can come and talk about, talk about their experiences process, but also hopefully um, come away with, with skills and methods to grapple with different things. Great. Last formal question that I have for you. And again, this is something I feel like you've done a really nice job of touching on it throughout. Mm -hmm. But, and I know we're pretty close to say, looking back on, but that's <laughs> what I'm gonna ask you to do anyway. Um, when you look back on the experience over the last few weeks, mm -hmm. there are things gained and there are things lost and mm -hmm. new opportunities and new, new events or um, programs like what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to both the, the loss, but also what are some things that you're coming away from this going, oh, you know, this is a new way of thinking or doing. So what comes to mind? Sure. Um, so <laughs> I have been thinking in terms of things gained or maintained, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the differences between like this pandemic and maybe what it was like during 1918, during that pandemic. Um, you know, we are in a radically different time where for, for most of us, not everyone, because not everyone has this luxury or privilege, um, but a lot of us have technology. We are able to stay connected, even if it's a different type of connection, um, through our cell phones, through social media, through things like Zoom, um, that, you know, you, we can still see each other's faces, we can still gather, um, we can, we can reimagine in really creative ways, um, you know, you can turn I don't know, an educational workshop into a webinar or a PowerPoint, you can just create so many things. And I think that that's really cool. Um, I think that's cool, especially even as someone who's like a hippie who wants to live in the woods and not have a computer. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's amazing that we have something that can connect millions of people. Um, and you know you don't feel as alone and you can still disseminate 
you know, information or celebration or whatever in a different platform. Um, but I do want to say, like, in terms of loss, um, I think that there is a significant difference between being in a in a room with someone and talking to them on a screen. Um, you know, there as someone who relies on a lot of the micro communications that people make through body language, like you shifting in your seat, you know, your, your facial expression changing just a little bit, um, an intake of breath that indicates like you want to say something, those flatten and get lost in, in these platforms, especially if there's like 20 people on a Zoom call, you can't focus in the same way. Um, and that's hard. And I think too, there's just like, there's a weird thing that's happening, uh, especially in spaces where, you know, it's everyone's face is being shown, including yours. Like you, I have noticed even myself, like I'll focus on my face, like how I'm communicating, what I look like while talking to someone or a group. And that's not how we normally do things. You don't tend to have like a mirror behind people while you're talking to them. And that, that means that you're, I, I think that that means your communication looks different. Um, and there's a lot of like mental catch up that has to happen. A lot of extra energy that's expended um, just to maintain a coherent conversation. Um, whereas when you're in the same room, I don't know, there's, there's something that is really hard to define that feels like to me energy or whatever, but it's, it's lost during this, um, or feels different. So yeah, I, while I hope we're able to carry certain lessons learned from this pandemic, I also hope that, you know, we don't, that this also shows us that we can't just be people who talk to screens. Um, we can't just be people who hole up in their houses and not interact with this big wide world. Um, Cause like, let me be clear, I'm holding up in my house because that's the safe and to me right thing to do, but it, it feels like a form of emotional starvation. So yeah. Again, look good, light, casual conversations. <laughs> In good, light, casual times. So. Right. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share? Is there anything I should be asking that I didn't ask or general life observations? Anything? <laughs> um, I think you asked all the questions. I think you did a great job. Um, in terms of adding, I think, I don't know. Um, I would say if there is anyone listening to this, like however you're dealing with this pandemic is how you're dealing with it. Like some people are doing amazing things. Like they're learning a brand new hobby. They're, you know, connecting in new ways, to new people. They're finding all the silver linings they can. And that's, that's great for them. Uh, if you can't find something good 
in a catastrophic event that's resulting in hundreds of thousands of deaths, that's okay. Um, it, it's okay to just be surviving right now. Um, so I just, I, I want to say that because I think that there's guilt and complicated feelings and all this stuff that's wrapped up in what is a collective traumatic event. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's, that's where I'm landing and also hoping that everyone stays as safe and sane and happy as possible during what is a really weird time. Yeah, very. And I know we discussed this, but I will provide a link to the Living Library podcast. And you also said that you're open if I provide your contact information, if anybody wants to follow up. You're yes. still good with that, right? Okay. Yes. Well, kind of playing off of your last comment, are there things, you know, just sort of to end on a note of hope or looking forward, are there things right now for you in, in your situation as you're navigating everything that bring you joy? Are there a couple of things that you might share? Let's see. Um, personally, professionally, both? Whatever speaks to you. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I think from a professional and also personal standpoint, like it has been, so this is my second year doing this work um, at Clemson. And especially during this time of weirdness, I have seen so much beautiful creativity um, and strength, particularly not, you know, not just our students, our staff and faculty too, but students in particular, I'm like, you're grappling with, you know, not just being a student leader, but like taking on a whole new educational environment. Some people are graduating, some people are job hunting and like, seeing the the thoughtfulness the um the critical insight the compassion that has been flowing at least from the students that i work with like that's really cool um and i'll take it like any form of kindness and compassion right now i'm like good good we need that let's keep that um and then happy on a personal note like i I have gotten to, even though there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety, there's also slowing down. Um, you know, I don't commute to work anymore. I still have a job. Like there's so much privilege. I still have a job. I get to work from home. Um, I don't have to commute. Like I, I roll out of bed, I drink some coffee, I take a shower and I'm good to go. Like that's, that's really cool. Um, and because of that, I get to dedicate more time to, to my people in a time where I, I as, a, as an individual need that. So reconnecting with family members, talking to my like 83 year old grandpa on the phone and talking about his flower garden, like things like that, that, you know, on a, a regular, work schedule, I kept finding excuses to say, I don't have time for that. Um, and now I do. And I want to be very clear. I'm not happy. I would, I, I would much prefer for us not to be in a pandemic, no matter what. Um, 
but there is happiness in in having that i don't know that beautiful golden circle of people who who those those connections have only been strengthened during this time so great well thank you so much and again i i just thank you for your openness and you know you just sharing so there's a lot right now and there's, there's a tiny bit and i'm sure it's only the iceberg of everything sure. um, that you're you're negotiating and navigating but um i appreciate the your own sharing but also your your outreach and your support to anybody who's listening to this i think we just have to take care of each other in different ways than we used to for a little while so oh yeah well, thank you so much again, Sierra. Um, I will post contact. Well, okay, let's be honest. It's not going to be me, but someone will post <laughs> your contact information um, as well as the link to the podcast. Perfect. And I just, I really appreciate, even though things might be slower or a different pace, mm -hmm. none of us are not busy right now. So it really means a lot that you were able to take some time and have the conversation today. Um, and then as I wrap up, so today's essay today podcast is brought to you by Saxa. We thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without producer Erica Lee. I have not thanked her on any podcast before this week. And that was an oversight on my part. I would say she screamed and yelled at me about it. But if you know Erica, that's not her style. So um, no. <laughs> Um, much gratitude to you, Erica, um, just for your work in general, but also for facilitating this particular interview. I, I'm really grateful for that. So my name is Michelle Botcher. It's been a pleasure to host this episode and have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you.